You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen, church. You may be seated. I just want to say welcome to you again this Easter Sunday. Thanks so much. Welcome to Hope Bible Church. This Easter weekend, we're so glad you're with us and pray that you are already encouraged here. My name is Robbie Simons, one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted to welcome especially those who are visiting with us uh, today. Uh, Maybe you had to park in the grass for the first time in a long time. Haven't seen that in a while, but that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Lots of people here, and we are so glad you are with us. Hey, um, if you have a Bible, would you open it to 1 Corinthians 15? If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the seat in front of you. And maybe someone beside you would help you locate 1 Corinthians in the New Testament because um, that's my message today. I'm just going to say what the Bible says because it's been changing lives for 2,000 years and we're sticking with that plan today uh, here at this time. So we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I'm going to take my chance to pray because my theology says nothing will happen right now unless God decides to do it. So we ask him to do what only uh, he can do. Father, I'd love to uh, bow low before you because you are God and we are not. Jesus Christ, you are Alpha and Omega, the bright and morning star. You are the one who makes us become new creations. You are the one who says who we are in Christ and then nothing changes that. We'll hear that again today. Please, Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I just imagine the hundreds and hundreds of different hearts here right now Uh, Each one with their own story, each one with their own hurts, each one with their own pain, each one with their own desire for joy. Uh, This is ultimately found in one person. It's Jesus Christ. So would you take this time now on this very special Easter weekend and would you use it? I just declare uh, need. I declare inadequacy on myself. I just declare that we need your help so much. So would it be so? Would it be so? We pray this by faith in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say... Amen. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, it says this on the screen for you too. You can look at it obviously in the Bible that you have, I pray, in your hand right now. Paul says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So just look at that for a second and just understand the implications if there was no resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. However, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says this on the screen for you as well. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. All God's people said, amen, amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so the Bible says Christ has been raised, which means that he has secured perfect victory for those who believe in him. So here's where we're going this beautiful Easter day together, okay? Here's where we're going. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the main points Paul makes today, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One of the main points he makes, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no point to the Christian faith. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, we of all people, we as Christ followers, we of all people should be most pitied. However, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything changes. Christ's followers possess, if Christ has been raised, and he has, Christ's followers possess now an unstoppable victory 
an unshakable hope and the absolute secure guarantee of everlasting life. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he can never be stopped and neither can those who belong to him. We will carry on for everlasting life, experiencing, again, the life that only he can bring. What a massive truth for our day, considering so many in our day live without hope. In this nation, in this community, at this time, what a massive truth when so many are living with an absence of true purpose. So many do not know why they exist. They don't have meaning. So many grasp at meaning right now through the material world around them. They're trying to find their identity and what they have or how they dress or what people think of them or their platform online, whatever it is. People are grasping at meaning through temporal things. It'll never work. So many are so confused with their existence in the day that we live. And therefore, what happens is when they're so confused and miserable, then they are tempted to try to escape the reality of their pain by drugging their minds or trying to entertain themselves to numb the thought patterns that haunt them. And so many in our day, so many live in a terror and, and horrific fear of death itself. So many are desperately afraid at the death they cannot avoid, as it comes for us all. And so we try to deny, we try to pretend it doesn't exist, we try to somehow convince ourselves we'll never actually age, and we, and we live for all these things in our lives, denying the reality of what is before us. But listen, listen, this is, this is again, I'm so glad you're here today. This is why Jesus Christ came. This is why Jesus Christ died. And this is why Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is why that first Easter changed everything. Listen, listen. For those who believe in Jesus Christ. So let's get to our text today because this is what we are told from this message. 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read our text. It's an amazing text. We're going to start at verse 12. And go to verse 26. It'll take just a couple of seconds here. But I pray that it will be used again as I read what God has said in his truth. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Notice what Paul says here. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Why? Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ, not even Christ has been raised. This is key. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we, Christians, Christ followers, of all people are to be most pitied. Here's the transition though, verse 20. But, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die... I know it's a little complicated. We'll get there in a few moments. So in Christ shall all be made 
alive. But listen to this, but each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits made alive first, being raised from the dead. Then all those at his coming who belong to Christ. Well, the Bible says to us here too, eh? this, is, this is like wisdom time. Then comes the end. When Jesus delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for what? For he, Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Wow, so this, this, this passage has a lot of important truth and content for us to digest today. Again, if you're a little bit overwhelmed as I read that, don't worry, don't worry. We're going to go through it much slowly or slower now and to take it in and see what the, world, what the Word has for us uh, in this text. So two points today on the absolutely world-changing, life-transforming impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what Paul says here by the Holy Spirit, number one is this, point number one, if there's no resurrection, that means no hope, all death, most pitied, and total futility, okay? If there's been no resurrection of the dead by Jesus Christ, then there's no hope, all death, everyone's gonna die, we're most pitied as believers, and total futility um, as it pertains to our lives. How's that for an encouragement today? Look at verse 12, verse 12, right? This is what he starts to say. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection um, of the dead? So what we learn here is some in Corinth. So this letter is called 1 Corinthians. It's written by the apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Hence, it's called again Corinthians. So some in the city of Corinth or Corinth church were suggesting that there's no resurrection from the dead. And Paul's like, wait, wait, wait a second. Do you understand the implications of what you're saying? He's like, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then the entire Christian faith is completely in vain. There is no Christian faith apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Take a look. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Think of it this way. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything here today is in vain. It's all for naught. Every song, every prayer, every word, every conversation about Christ, this entire, again, church, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, it's all in vain. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, if Christ is not raised, then we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because if we have placed all our eggs in the basket of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this is really our only and ultimate message, but if this message is not true, if God has not raised his son, then we have witnessed falsely about God. Look at verse 16. He says, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And here's the kicker. And you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, the greatest problem then, theologically speaking, is we still remain in our sins, those of us who have even professed Christ as Savior. Let's understand that a little bit. Why is that true? As powerful and beautiful the cross of Christ is. Why was the cross so important? Why was Good Friday absolutely integral? Because the cross is where Christ made atonement for our sins. The cross is where Jesus took on our punishment 
where sin was dealt with upon him and his life. The cross is where Christ stood in our place, died on our behalf. He became our sacrifice. The cross was necessary for that to happen. The cross is where payment, again, payment for sin was made. There is no forgiveness of sins apart from Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The cross is absolutely essential for any hope of forgiveness. However, the cross is not enough in this sense. Without the resurrection... Without the resurrection, the cross and the payment for sin was not validated by the Father. See, the resurrection is so critical because it's the proof that payment for sin has been accepted by God the Father, again, from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his Son. We can put it this way. It's the resurrection that validates the transaction of payment for our sin, again, that occurred on the cross. So Paul says then, without the resurrection, then you're dead. We're all dead. Without the resurrection, God has not validated that transaction. We are still in our sins. I can look at, look at verse 18. He says, if, if that's true, there's no resurrection from the dead, then those who have fallen asleep, that means those who have died previously, in Christ, believers who have died in Christ, they're actually dead. They've perished because then they're still in their sins. And therefore, if that's true, then we of all people are to be most pitied. Why? Because our hope then ends with this life. There's no hope after this life, which is the very heart of the entire Christian message according to the Bible. So that's why Paul says in verse 19 exactly that. Look at verse 19. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people, of all people on the earth, we are to be most pitied. Why? Well, think about it. Think about it. Think of all the people over 2,000 years, who have given their entire lives and so many to the point of death for the cause and life of Jesus Christ. So many have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. If Christ wasn't raised, that's all for naught. All of that means nothing. Think of all the suffering, the sacrifice, the faith, the trials, the perseverance on behalf of Christ's followers to live for Christ and love others in the process. If Christ is not raised, it's all for naught. Think of all the preaching, the cost from our lives, the attack, the opposition again over the centuries. I'll just make it personal for me. If Christ is not raised, my entire life's a joke. Everything I stare, everything I've given myself, everything right now, if Christ is not raised, it's all a joke. Just consider, again, to make sure we're totally clear on the screen for you, the if there was no resurrection, let's put it in theological terms. If there's no resurrection, Jesus promised he would be raised from the dead. If he wasn't raised from the dead, that would mean that Jesus is a liar. Next, without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Why? Because if Christ was not raised, then his life is no different from yours or mine. So then we're dead because there's no Savior. If there's no resurrection, that would mean that God did not accept Christ's payment for sins. So think of it this way. Therefore, that means the perfect sacrifice has not been made. That means the wrath of God has not been satisfied. That means the ministry of Jesus has not been validated. We're smoked. 
If there was no resurrection, again, we have no hope. So Paul says, without the resurrection, no hope, all death, most pity, total futility for all those who live. And in many ways, especially for those who profess to follow Christ. Now, aren't you glad the text doesn't end there? Hey, happy Easter, everyone. No hope, all death, total futility. What's the point? Again, but Paul is setting up the argument Helping the reader understand if there was no resurrection, but then, but then in verse 20, the first word in verse 20 is so important. It's the word but. That's one of the more significant words in the New Testament right there. One of the most beautiful, again, words in the New Testament. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So let's go to point number two then. Yes, resurrection. Yes, resurrection means all hope eternal life, most blessed, and total victory. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, Walter Knight, he told this story about Michelangelo. He says, when Michelangelo visited several great art galleries in European cities, he was deeply impressed by the preponderance of paintings depicting Christ hanging on the cross. He asked, why are art galleries filled with so many pictures of Christ upon the cross and Christ dying? Why do artists concentrate upon this passing episode as if that were the last word or the final scene? Christ dying on the cross lasted only a few hours. But to the end of unending eternity, Christ is alive, Christ rules and reigns and triumphs. Amen, that's such a good word. Amen, clap for that. Way to go, 1015. And again, I, Paul, I love it here. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So what is so encouraging for the believer in Jesus Christ is even the evidence that piles up, historically speaking, as to the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe just, maybe take a few moments here. I don't often do it in this way very often, but just to appeal to some of the skeptics here today. And by the way, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad, however you ended up getting here. But just maybe taking a few moments maybe to appeal to some of the skeptics and have you considered maybe some of the questions we're about to ask right now as it pertains to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because one of the greatest objections to the resurrection in history has been that the disciples stole the body. The disciples stole the body, they hid it, and then they lied to the people that Jesus was raised from the dead. So let's just take that claim and let's ask some questions, dig in a little deeper to that. Maybe it'll be helpful. I don't pretend that this is going to flip the switch on for you becoming a Christ follower now, but it might help to kind of soften your heart a little bit to ask some questions maybe you've never thought of before. So here's a few questions pertaining to the resurrection of Christ. Number one on the screen for you. If Jesus did not actually rise from the dead, why did the disciples go from frightened, timid followers of Jesus before his death to bold evangelists willing to die preaching his resurrection if they had really just made the whole thing up and he was still dead? That's a great question. Remember, before Jesus was crucified, the disciples were, for the most part, cowards. I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times to a servant girl. What was the change from cowardice to courage? And dramatically so, Again, from their lives. Question number two. Why were the disciples willing to be tortured and killed for a known lie? That's a good question. People do not die for a cause they know to be false. People certainly die for false beliefs all the time, but here's the key. But they think that they are dying for the truth. 
If the disciples faked the resurrection, they would know that Christianity is a lie. History records they were tortured and killed for their faith. Not one of them denied the faith. Question number three. Why would they make up the resurrection story if Jesus turned out to be a fraud? Remember, Jesus told them he would rise after three days. If he was still dead on day four, that means he wasn't who he said he was. He wasn't the Messiah and certainly wasn't God after all. So why would the disciples worship a dead guy who lied to them and who was exposed as a fraud? Well, the answer is they must have actually seen the risen Jesus. Question number four. What was their motive? Lies or deceptions are typically done for some selfish motive. I think that's a, a good point. Preaching the resurrection of Jesus would not bring the disciples wealth, fame, status, or popularity. In fact, it would only cause them to be hated, scorned, persecuted, excommunicated, imprisoned, exiled, beheaded, tortured, and crucified themselves as history clearly records. So what could have possibly have been their ultimate motive? Next question, how do the disciples go from 12 ordinary people to pull off such a hoax? Remember, this hoax would trigger thousands of skeptics per day to convert to following their scam as well as redirect the entire world to even eventually change their calendars and establish their hoax character Jesus as the best known figure in all of humanity. How could they pull something like this off without ever getting exposed, offering a deathbed confession, or even admitting it was a hoax under torture? Answer, it must not have been a hoax. They must have actually seen the risen Jesus. Next question, why would thousands of people immediately convert if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead? Think about it. Think about it. History records thousands upon thousands were instantly and immediately mass converting to be followers of Jesus. As many as 3,000 in a single day when the church began. It is recorded that after the crucifixion, Jesus appeared to live over a span of 40 days to 500 believers. If that many people saw Jesus alive, it would explain how so many were converting because even the most hardened skeptics would have crowds and crowds of former skeptics saying, yes, it's true, we have seen him too. But if, Jesus, but if no one saw Jesus alive and the crowds had only the words of the disciples to go by, why would thousands convert? Remember, the disciples were preaching to many who didn't want to believe Jesus was the Messiah. So what words could they speak to hostile crowds to convince them Jesus really did rise from the dead? What could they say? Hey, trust us, man. It's true. Trust us? I don't think so. That wouldn't have worked. Last question. How did Saul of Tarsus, the chief persecutor of Christians, convert to become the Apostle Paul, the chief follower of Jesus, if he didn't really have an encounter with the risen Savior? See, logically, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, Saul, who hated the church, who hated Jesus, who hated Christians. He would gloat in his victory. He would call Jesus a fraud, and he would say Jesus conquered nothing, again, because he was not raised. What event could have possibly caused Saul to become Paul to be the greatest leader, really, in the church ever in far of human terms? What could have possibly have done that? Only the event of seeing the risen Christ. Just some good thoughts to consider as it pertains to the historical evidence of Christ being raised from the dead. I think those questions are profound and encouraging, but for me, for me, the greatest 
evidence in regards to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's us. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the lives that have been absolutely transformed over all these centuries, and God has not stopped changing lives. See, I personally believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has raised me from the dead. He has given me life from death. He has opened my eyes to see the truth. I am not perfect at this point at all, but man, I am not who I was all because of the grace and life of Jesus Christ. I look across this room right now, so many hundreds and hundreds of you would testify to the exact same truth. The amount of life change in this church, Hope Oakville, is one tiny drop in the bucket. It's a beautiful drop. It's a tiny drop in the bucket across this world and planet of millions and hundreds of millions of lives that would testify to the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have seen life after life after life changed in him. Again, for me, it is a wonder and a glory. It is awesome. It's so encouraging. Jesus Christ is alive and he continues to cause other people to become alive as well. Now, as I say that, let me say this. I know the church isn't perfect, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. I know the church isn't perfect. I understand the grievances. But that doesn't change for a second the truth of transformed lives across this world, across the millenniums, of understanding again, Christ has set me free. Christ has made me new. Jesus Christ has saved my sins and caused me to know everlasting life. It's a wonder that right now the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. How's that possible? Like as if. What's going on there? The church is exploding in China and has been for decades. How is that possible? Why would that ever happen? Because Jesus is real and he's alive because he was raised from the dead. See, when, when Paul says here, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, the first fruits is what? That's a farming term. When farmers, when they would bring a sample of the harvest representative of what's to come, they would bring a sample and say, look, 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 here's the first fruits of the harvest. Rejoice because the rest is coming. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of the harvest to come. He is the first raised to his glorified, resurrected body. And all who believe in him and belong to him, the text says today, they too will receive a resurrected body without stain or sin again and free from death forever when Jesus Christ returns and restores that to him. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrected body. Look now at verse 21 now. If you look at verse 21, Paul continues, he says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, stay with me here, so in Christ, in Christ, all shall be made alive. So here we got a little bit of like, um, you know, kind of deeper theology now, but I, wanna, I want you to kind of go with me here. Paul teaches here, notice this, that Adam, as in Adam and Eve, Adam is one head of the human race. And through Adam, all have died because when Adam sinned and all have come ultimately from Adam and Eve, then we inherit sin from Adam. Adam sinned and we sin also and we prove, I mean, I guess I, guess I just, I need to ask this every time I talk about this. Would there be anyone here that would genuinely say you have never sinned? 
I just love to meet the person. I just, I just need to know your secret. You know what I mean? That you would generally come up to me or whoever and you say, no, 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 I'm actually perfect. Would the person you live with say the same thing? Like, honestly, the person who knows you best, would they tell, oh yeah, man, my husband, he's perfect. My wife would not say that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and neither would my kids. There's no way. Can anyone genuinely say that you are, it's impossible all have sinned. You say, why is sin such a big deal? Sin stinks because sin separates us from God. You say, why? Why does sin separate us? Because God is holy. Because in his character, God is perfect. He cannot dwell with sin. So if we sin, Adam in the garden, they sin and they're, they're banished from the garden. Because God, if he's true to his character, cannot dwell with sin. So sin, the Bible says, equals death. That's why we die. Because we all sin. Adam is one of the heads of the human race representing sinfulness and death. What the Bible introduces here, though, again through Paul, is there was a second Adam, though. There was a new man. The second Adam, his name is Jesus Christ. He was without sin, and he died on our behalf for our sin. He was raised from the dead, defeating death. So if you belong to the new Adam, Jesus Christ, and you believe in him, then what's his is yours. You shall never die again. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Again, this might be helpful. We're all Canadian, so I did some hockey jerseys, okay? So this is kind of how it goes. So this, this is Jesus Christ in his, in his perfection. But this is us belonging to Adam. Every, every single one of us born, again, of woman, we're born into sin. And the Bible tells us because of that, then we are subject to death. Every, every person ever lived, that, that's their reality. This is a problem. You say, well, I'm going to save myself, but you can't. I'll be a good person. You'll never be good enough. One sin does it, not to mention the millions of sins every day. You say, oh, I'm going to try to make effort. You'll, you'll never make enough effort. We'll never be perfect. We sin. We're in trouble. We need a Savior beyond ourselves. So Christ comes to earth as perfection, and he looks at me, and he, he's giving himself to die on the cross. He looks at me and says, Robbie, you cannot save yourself, but I can save you. Robbie, I want your sin to go on me. And I'm like, why would you ever want to do that? Because I love you. I love you so much. My father sent me to die for you that if you believe in me, you will never perish but have everlasting life. The marvel of this is Jesus Christ takes on my sin upon him. He dies on my behalf. But the gospel doesn't stop there. Not only does Christ take my sin, Christ says, Robbie, now I give to you my perfect righteousness. And you now wear the jersey of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now I'm sitting here and I'm starting to understand this transaction. Wait, 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 wait. You get my sin, I get your perfection. How is that possibly fair? And the father's like, it's not fair, but it's love. That's how much I love you. Jesus, but you did nothing wrong. You were perfect. You were absolutely innocent and unblemished. I know, Robbie, 
But that's why I came. The single purpose I came was to die for your sins, for what you could not save yourself. Robbie, you need to know when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're on his team. And when you're on his team and you wear his jersey, no one ever will be able to remove you from your identity in Jesus Christ. Whatever, whatever is Jesus is yours. His life is your life. His future is your future. His resurrection is your resurrection. His inheritance is your inheritance. When you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are on his team, no one ever will kick you off again from being on the team of God. And this just in, if you're on God's team, I like your chances, okay? Because God tends to win every single time. Again, again, we look at this, we stand before the Father in judgment. Christ dies, he's tortured and murdered. We go free, that's not fair. That's not fair. I deserve to die. And again, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, it isn't fair, but it is love. And that's the power of Easter weekend through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death is no more. And now this is my identity for all of eternity. Can someone say amen to that? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. And that's the gospel, loved ones. This is why Easter changed the world forever. For all those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never be the same again. Sin is removed and taken, and now righteousness is given by grace. Let me just say one more time, you cannot earn this. You'll never be good enough. It's not about working for it. It's receiving the gift of grace. You know, a friend of our church, he sent me this little kind of, I want to call it a cute animation on, on the screen for you right now, but I'm so blessed by this. It's exactly lining up with our text this weekend. So just look at the sequence here. This is what Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ perfect, bears the cross on our behalf. He comes up and he sees you and me. And there we are, wearing our filthy robes, our, our death, our stained sinfulness. Jesus addresses us and he says, I want to take your sin upon me and I want to give you my righteousness. He continues with his cross and he carries on to die on our behalf. Well, I, I, lo- I love the last little image. And the you guys are like, how, what is going on right now? How did this happen? Now, that's why Friday had to happen. But the thing about Easter Sunday and the resurrection, without the resurrection, that's not validated. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates what Christ came to do. It is the Father saying, I have received the payment. Victory is now secure and death has been defeated because sin has been paid for. What team are you on today? And do you hear the voice of God calling to you that you might receive grace, forgiveness, and everlasting life and never die again? It's not fair, eh? But that's the point. We're always accusing God of being unfair. In this case, in the most important case, we're the ones who are supremely and infinitely blessed, which what we would say is not fair to God. That's his love. So notice what the text continues on to say. Look at verse 23 now. He says, but each in his own order, 
Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming. So his return, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers. So Christ returns when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power. For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this is really, really encouraging if we understand what is being said here. Okay, I want to help us with that too. This is speaking right here specifically to the total and complete and final victory of Jesus Christ over all and any who oppose him. That's what this is saying upon his return. So, so for a time and in a sense, God has allowed right now in the world we live in, God has allowed a measure of rule and authority towards humanity and Satan. The Bible says the prince of the power of this air, Satan, but that is temporary. The Bible says right here, the time is coming very soon where Christ will return. And when he returns, he will absolutely decimate all his enemies. So when he came the first time at Christmas, he came to live and die as a suffering servant. The meekness, his humility, his sacrifice, staggering. When he comes again, he won't come as a suffering servant. He comes as a conquering king, okay? He won't come and return and go 12 rounds. He won't even go 12 seconds. That's how definitive his victory will be over his enemies. In verse 25, it says, he will put all enemies under his feet. That means total conquest, okay? So right now, if we're listening to this, we must be so wise because the Bible is telling us, listen, Christ is going to return soon. And when Christ returns, the only thing that matters is where you and I stand in relation to him. Wisdom understands right now, the moment he returns, you drop your phone, praise the Lord. You drop your bank account statement, praise the Lord. You drop your social media platform, praise the Lord. You drop your hobbies and your golf clubs, praise the Lord. You drop your girlfriend, praise the Lord. No offense, no offense, right? In that moment, all that matters when Christ returns is am I for him or against him? That's the only question you will care about in that moment that impacts your entire eternity. And wisdom says, man, that's true. The Bible's telling me right now, what am I living for? Whose team am I on anyways? Because Jesus Christ, he returns as the undefeated, undisputed champion of the universe for all time. And trust me, when he returns, he's not gonna lose. He's not, this is exactly what the text is saying. And notice his ultimate purpose upon his return. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, that's the powerful, life-changing hope of the Christian life of genuine faith in Christ. At final judgment, death itself will be no more. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin, no more violence, no more hatred, no more death. For those, listen, the text said it, who belong to Jesus Christ. How do I belong to Jesus Christ? By believing in him, by living for him, by loving him. Maybe you're here today and this is your moment. This is the first day of the rest of your life. You are here today by appointment from God to place your faith in him 
in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because you and I can't save ourselves. And today is the day you have seen for the first time. Three things you can do, three things, according to the Bible teaches us. Number one, ABC, admit that you're a sinner. You have to know why you need to be saved. Admit that you're a sinner. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe he's the son of God. Believe he's the only one who can set you free and save you from your sins. And C, confess him as Lord. To confess him as Lord says, man, up until this time of my life, I've been driving. I've been driving the wheel, and I want to go wherever I want to go. Today, by faith, man, hands off the wheel. I'm getting out of the car. I'm moving around to the back seat, maybe the trunk. Jesus Christ, you're driving now. You're driving. You're in charge. You're in control. I believe in you. You are God. I am not. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I confess him as Lord. The Bible says if this is a sincere prayer and true meaning in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. Again, this is why Christ came, to die and to be raised from the dead to defeat death. He has not yet returned, which means he's still saving people across this planet today. He has not yet returned, which means we still live in the age of grace. Grace offered to you to save you forever, totally undeserved, overwhelmed by God's love, to be set free and live forever. Man, what a deal. This is the love of God for all those who have a humility enough to know that he is the one true savior of the world. Please, Lord, would you be working in so many today? Let's pray together. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, I do pray in your name that you are moving, working, and saving people at this moment. Maybe you're here right now and, and you can pray this simple but sincere prayer with me right now. Jesus Christ, I do see my sin. I have actually seen it for a long time and I'm unable to save myself. I've tried, I've tried, I've, I've, I've tried the world's ways. It doesn't work. Today I see for the first time ever that you are the son of God, that you are the savior of the world, that I need you to save me from me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you and I pray you will grant me everlasting life. I pray you will set me free. I pray that I become a child of God. I pray that I would know everlasting life to never die again. Today, Lord Jesus, I confess you are Lord, not me. You are Lord. You are God. You are good. You are wise. You are life. You are love. Jesus, you drive. I'm done. I'm done. You drive. You drive. And may, may I know the fruit and reality and assurance of what it means to be set free in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, would you be working on this Easter of you're so thankful for the chance to be here. We're so blessed with what you've given to us as a church and we're so thankful for all those who have joined us today and in the love and the life that is found in Jesus Christ. Maybe so. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.